Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the Week 9 College Football Betting Preview. I'm stuck in with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. We're almost into November. I can't believe it. What's going on, Colin? To do all this content and type down, actually, Week 10, which is amazing to me. Let me get this out of the way to start the podcast. I'm a 100% believer in Ohio State. I bought them at 4-1. to one. I'm going to get it in the app uh, here after the podcast. And I think I'm going to be playing UMass this weekend. I thought I'd just announce it on the podcast instead of like a, a cold, hard notification coming through. I think there's going to be a UMass bet. Yeah, I will grill you on that in a little bit. We usually start with look ahead or look away. <laughs> there's no real great look ahead spots. You, know, you could maybe say Memphis after their big win over Tulane last week with SMU on deck, which will go a long way in the uh, AAC standings, which... I've talked about many times. The AAC is the new ACC. It should be the new Power Five. Um, But other than that, no real great look at spots. We'll touch briefly on situational spots as we go through the card. We'll go through each conference as we normally do. But let's switch things up this week and start with the marquee games of the weekend. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week nine. So, you know, decided to switch it up because you mentioned Ohio State, and I'm still mad at Wisconsin. This should still be an entertaining game, but this game lost so much hype when Wisconsin went down to Illinois. And the question with this game, and this right now this game is sitting, it's been sitting right around 14, 14 and a half. Uh, this is a noon kick at the shoe on Fox. assume Gus will be calling it. Uh, it's sitting you know, Ohio State. 14-point favorite over under 49.5, 50-ish. The question is how much was Wisconsin sleeping or looking ahead to this week? And how, how do you tell that? Usually it's with energy on the field, missed tackles. Illinois had a couple touchdowns on missed tackles. So I think there was a little bit of that. And if you look at the defensive metrics for Wisconsin, they're all excellent, but they haven't really played anybody. You know, so, I mean, they're like number one in the country in a lot of defensive metrics, but you know, they played Central Michigan. They played Michigan when Michigan was reeling. South Florida, Northwestern, Kent State, you know, Michigan State, who I think had nothing left in the tank after the Ohio State game, and then Illinois. So I don't know how real it is. Now, the one thing that I know Wisconsin is going to try and do is control the clock with Jonathan Taylor. They're going to try to run the ball. They do play slow. And, you know, on on the defensive side of the ball, the one thing that I'm mainly concerned about is their secondary. You saw them give up a couple big plays to Illinois. They just don't have the athletes to contain Ohio State, who doesn't rely on one receiver. They, you know, Fields really spreads the ball around. Now, what Wisconsin can do with their 2-4-5 is they can get pressure. Their predominantly 3-4 is going to bring a ton of pressure. They have outstanding linebackers. 
that's what they're going to have to do because if there's only one weakness I could find in Ohio State, and really it's only one, because I'm a believer in that defense, and I don't know how Wisconsin is going to consistently move the ball. I'm a believer in that run defense now. It's Ohio State's offensive line. They have some injuries. They're giving up pressure on what 25% of dropbacks. It's outside you know, the top 70 in college football. So if they can get the fields and pressure him, that's the only way they can slow him down. What do you see here? The question is if they can get to fields and if they can stop the running game uh, of the Buckeyes, which is, uh, you know, could be a real problem. I think what we saw last week was the first time that Jack Cohn ever actually was under real pressure, having to make a real situational play. Under three minutes, I think there was about, you know, two and a half left to go in the game. Uh, he gets intercepted by Illinois and uh, the rest is history. You had to put the game on Jack Cohn's back. He just didn't live up to what he needed to get done. And they've never had to be in that position before. I mean, 48-0 against Kent, 38-0 against Michigan State, you know, Michigan 35-14. Jack Cohn's not been, I mean, he's been nice to have and he, he's been serviceable. But these wins start with the ground game and the ground attack and how good the defense has been, especially from a Havoc perspective. But Jack Cohn has kind of been behind all these other reasons why Wisconsin's been winning all these games. When the game came down to it against Illinois and the pressure was on, Jack Cohn couldn't get the get it done. So what I see in this game, I make the line 16. Uh, these are the top two Havoc teams in the nation. But, you know, Ohio State has just so much better stats across the board. Arguably played, you know, a tougher schedule. But, I mean, look at what Ohio State's going to do. I can talk about how great Justin Fields is. I can talk about J.K. Dobbins. But really, this is where the game comes down to is they're going to stack the box and sell out to stop Jonathan Taylor, which is something that I think that they can do. The question is, can Jack Cohn in single coverage – Make them pay for it. I don't think that they can. I mean, I think this is going to be the secondary of, of Akuda, Wade, Arnett, Fuller. These guys are going to be in single coverage, and I think they're going to make Cone pay for it. Ohio State has 10 interceptions. That ranks top 10. They just have 36 passes defense. That's mid-FBS. But from an INT level, they're able to, they've been able to be top 10 and have 10 INTs already. So I think that the secondary for Ohio State is going to be the difference, and I don't think Jack Cone's going to be able to get it downfield. I think single coverage is going to be just fine. They're going to sell out and stop Jonathan Taylor. So, I mean, if you have them in a pick pool, I would take Ohio State. I'm certainly not going to play this unless I see a 13 and a half. But I think more importantly, I think this is really the time. We're going to get to this game, but I mean, this is really the time to buy Ohio State. I mean, it was time to buy it before, but now we have all the data. We have all the explosiveness, all the success rate. We know that they've been number two in Havoc while Wisconsin's been number one. We, we, we've known about this. The team speed, Shiano's out of there. The whole running slants on the defensive line and, and the and the offense running the other way. Everything's been corrected. Everything's been fixed. Ryan Day and his presser this week on Monday said, we got to start this game fast. We got to start this game fast. So I know the total's dipping down to 49, but I just have a feeling that if Ohio State has a chance to put their foot on the pedal, they may score 42 themselves. I don't. I would not take an under in this game whatsoever because Ryan Day has only talked about how we got to go fast. But I think now's the time to buy a national championship on Ohio State because essentially – I think Penn State's the only thing keeping them from going to the college football playoff. Who are they going to play? Minnesota in, in the Big Ten championship game? Michigan in the final game when Michigan has two losses in, in, in conference play? Uh, Penn State is going to be the game, and I project Ohio State to be 13-point favorites in that game. So if that's the only thing that's keeping them from going to the college football playoff, I think 4-1, to one, it's going to keep, continue to go down further. I think they're going to jump Clemson, Alabama in odds. It might be the last chance to get a national championship future on Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, look, Jonathan Taylor, too, has been stymied against some of these defenses, you know, some of the better defenses, another really good run defenses, Northwestern and Michigan State. You know, 26 carries for under 100 yards 
against Michigan State. I think like 83, 26 carries, like 118 yards against Northwestern. So, uh, and I believe in this Ohio State defense. But I also do believe in Wisconsin's defense in their front seven, from what I've seen. They have excellent, excellent linebackers. Uh, you know, senior linebackers, Zach Bond, Chris Orr, dish, they're excellent. And they can get after the quarterback or can make, you know, can kind of spy, make sure Fields doesn't scramble too much. He'll also get after the quarterback. They're going to bring a ton of pressure. It's can that secondary hold up. The pace that you just brought up that Day wants to play with does concern me a little bit. Because I was leaning towards the under because I just don't. This Wisconsin offense just has no explosiveness. And the Mm -hmm. Ohio State secondary is legit. And they can shut down Jonathan Taylor with their front seven. Uh, It's just going to be a tough day for Wisconsin. I think it's just going to have to crawl with the ball and try and churn out yards and play keep away. So I actually lean towards the under. But you bring up a good point with Day and the pace. We'll have a write-up on this game. So uh, I'll dig into that before I place any bet there. All right, let's move on to... One of the other marquee games of the weekend, Michigan-Notre Dame, is an interesting game in that, situationally, this really favors Notre Dame. Notre Dame is coming off of a bye, so they had two weeks to prepare for Michigan, while Michigan is coming off an emotional loss at Penn State, you know, dropped past late uh, after that, you know, huge comeback after being down 21 nothing. Once again, Penn State was outplayed overall by Michigan. You know, the argument for Michigan here is they made some changes along their defensive line, Their defense is playing better overall. You know, Patterson still is shaky, but the offense in general is starting to get a little more rhythm, right? And that's what you would expect from a team that's installing a new system. I thought it would happen a lot sooner, but, you know, two months into the season, maybe the Wolverines are starting to get some rhythm in this new system. The offensive line is playing better. One thing I'll mention with Notre Dame, Notre Dame doesn't have like these real speedy, wide receivers, which kill Michigan all the time in their crossing routes. You hear about it all the time, and they, they don't have the fastest corners. Last week, Hamler is the only thing that Penn State had going for it. Eight targets, had six catches for 108 yards and two touchdowns. Notre Dame doesn't have anyone like that, and books a mobile quarterback. Michigan just saw a mobile quarterback in Clifford and held him in check. So there are some things to like about Michigan here. This this series has also been dominated by the home team. The home team, I think, has won eight of nine and Michigan clearly has played a lot better at home. They're a younger team this year. And people will give Harbaugh grief for against these bigger teams, against top 10 teams. But keep in mind, Brian Kelly, he's 2-10 on the road against ranked teams. I would love to get Michigan here as a dog. The situation is not ideal. And, and one of the things that I'm keeping my eye on is this Notre Dame secondary, which it, it lost a lot from last year, their defense in general. But Sean Crawford... They really missed him against USC, and they got tore up, and they really should have lost to USC if not for a slow start. But Sean Crawford, their senior corner, might be back this week. That would be a big boost for their secondary. But I think Michigan can have some success throwing the ball. It is a tough situational spot. What do you see here? I actually completely agree with you 100%. Hamler does not play for Notre Dame, which means when Michigan applies pressure, which they are, they have been able to apply pressure with their sack rate. They've gotten much better uh, getting to the quarterback. That's going to flush Ian Book out of the pocket, uh, get him outside the two tackles, and then he's going to have to become a playmaker. And little, little speedy backs like Hamler, that's not Notre Dame's. That's not Notre Dame's wide receivers whatsoever. So I actually love. Michigan in this game and the the hesitation on buying the line is because I expect a plethora of Notre Dame money to be coming in all the way up until kick. I think this will settle at about two and a half, maybe a three. So that's why I'm waiting to hit this line instead of getting Michigan plus one. I think it's going to become much better, but it is a play on Michigan. I was actually impressed with Michigan. Uh, You know, they were down 21 to zero in a hostile environment against Penn State. 
the whiteout. You know, they got down 21-0, and Sean Clifford was averaging seven yards per play in the first half. Turn to the second half. Michigan won the rest of the game 21 to 7. They limited Penn State's offense to 1.9 yards per play in the second half. And you're right, they were dropped touchdown, dropped catch a beautiful throw by Patterson, dropped pass away from tying that ball game up. And so I really like Michigan in this. I, I think they're, they've got their heads on right. They're treating this kind of like a conference game. They're not taking this game for granted. You've already mentioned about Brian Kelly on the road. Uh, Notre Dame's just covered once in their past six games, period. Notre Dame's only won this game once in the last eight trips up to the big house, so it has not been a good trip for them. And you mentioned about how Michigan's not making as many mistakes. They, I, I harped on them the first two games of the season about how bad their havoc allowed rate was. Their offense just couldn't get out of way of turning the ball over. But that number has increased from outside top 100 up to 40th now and you say well 40th and havoc allowed that's not great that's a lot better than it was after the first two weeks when they were ranking outside the top 100 uh so that continues to get better they continue to protect the uh protect the football consider the past two weeks that shea patterson has been sacked just once by penn state and zero times by illinois you know maybe set clemson aside i'd venture to say penn state is the best defense in the nation and the reason why they've done so well um and been been able to hide some of their deficiencies penn state's deficiencies on offense but I like Michigan's defense in this. I like their attitude going into this game. I don't like Notre Dame on the road. Hamler's not playing on the outside. He playing for Notre Dame. They don't have any guys like this. It's a big switch for them to go from air raid to what Shea Patterson Michigan brings. It's more of a big physical wide receiver and tight end passing attack than the deep ball to speedy receivers. Uh, and I think that plays into Michigan's favor here. I would completely agree. Michigan outgained Penn State last week, 417 to 283. Ran 82 plays to Penn State's 54. Another lucky Penn State box score win. And as I mentioned before, we'll have a write-up on uh, Notre Dame-Michigan going as in-depth as you will find on Action Network. Dot com in the action app. All right, let's move on to the third marquee game of the weekend between two top 25 teams, and that's Auburn LSU. This line currently at 10, 10 and a half at some books, over under 59, 59 and a half. And I think that's what this is going to come down to is LSU, no matter where you look on their, their defense has some questions, right? But can Bo Nix take advantage of that? Can Auburn establish a running game? You know, Whitlow's not there now, but they get their running in. Gus will get it in with a, a number of different players. Uh, but I think the loss of Whitlow hurts in a game like this when, you know, they want to just line up, pound the ball, control the clock, keep Burrow off the field. You know, the question here becomes, can Auburn's front seven, which is excellent, it's one of the best in all of college football, can it get to Burrow? Can it disrupt Burrow and this passing attack? And Auburn likes to play press man. I don't know if they can really do that here against LSU's receivers. I think they're going to have to play more zone. I think they're going to have to get pressure. But if you look at a lot of the the metrics, LSU's offensive line is playing really well. So that's, the, that's I think, the matchup is going to be, can Auburn get to Burrow? Because Burrow is not making many mistakes. He's playing so out, out of his mind all year, the clear and deserved front runner for the Heisman. Um, and then on the other side, LSU's defense does have question marks, but they have a solid secondary. Can't they just sell out on the run? And, you know, feeling that Bo Nix isn't going to beat them. If you look what Bo Nix has done against really good defenses, it's not encouraging. Bo Nix season in full effect. See the Florida game. What do you see here? 
I'm actually waiting on the market to come down to a nine and a half. There's been a couple nine and a half show in this line, and then it's gone immediately. Uh, the LSU money has come in pretty st- strong on that, and I believe it's real Auburn money that's knocked it down from say twelve and a half or twelve all the way down to the ten, ten and a half. So I mean, there's a real battle here going on between people about wanting Auburn at a higher number than eleven and people wanting LSU at nine and a half. And I'm kind of in the boat with the LSU nine and a half. There's just certain things that I can't get over. First off, Terrence Marshall is a big return for Joe Burrow. Not just in downfield passing, but this is his primary red zone target. I think he had uh, three touchdowns in the red zone against Georgia Southern. They were all passes underneath 11 yards. Uh, Multiple red zone touchdowns after that. Uh, Terrence Marshall is a safety blanket for Joe Burrow, and that's going to help them in the red zone. Like they needed any help offensively, right? But uh, LSU is returning a big piece of their offense and a a big part of what Joe Burrow is going to need to get out of situations when he's under pressure. Auburn can put it on you fast with that front seven. But Joe Burrow's release time, I think, is in the top ten. Like I think 2.3 seconds is how long it's taking him to get rid of the ball which is one of the best in the nation. So, you know, LSU is outside the top 100 uh, in opponent explosive passing. So the question is, is if Auburn's going to cover this game and possibly upset, you know, can Bo Nix throw it down the field and can they expose them in that opponent uh, explosive pass problem that LSU has? And Nix hasn't topped 200 yards in three of the last four games. It, everybody's thrown it against Mississippi State. Everybody's thrown it against Arkansas. Uh, Bo did go 12-17 against Arkansas. At the same time, you know, this LSU team, there's just so many things that I see where they can take advantage of Auburn coming in there. One of being havoc you know we talk about LSU and their and their havoc rate both these teams are really good at havoc but the problem with Auburn is they're 75th in havoc allowed one of the most amazing stats that I just can't get over is that Auburn's offense has fumbled the ball 15 times that's top 10 in the nation they fumbled the ball 15 times they have fallen on those 15 10 times of the 15 times they put it on the carpet Auburn has fallen on the ball 10 times. The fumble luck has been insane for Auburn. But I mean, we go back to that whole odd year thing where they seem to do crazy stuff with November still yet to come. So for me, I'm waiting for the nine and a half. I just don't think anybody's going to be able to stop LSU's passing attack. That includes Alabama in two weeks. I think it comes down to havoc and LSU's the one that's got the uh, the advantage in that category. These games recently have been really close for what it's worth. You know, and, you know, if you look at these three marquee games, Ohio State has owned Wisconsin of late. They've won six straight. So a lot of them have been close, except that Big Ten championship game where Ohio State won 59 nothing. The biggest difference has been Ohio State speed. Auburn LSU have been really close the last few years. And then Notre Dame Michigan has been a home-dominated series. So, yeah, I'll be interested to see what Gus and that defense what they do, um, you know, you have the, a former LSU guy, Steele is the defensive coordinator. For Auburn, I think they have to go zone. They have to get pressure and they have to cause, they have to get picks. I don't think that they're going to be able to stop this LSU defense trying to play man and the LSU offensive line is playing well. I think they have to get exotic. And one thing to always keep in mind is what will Gus have up his sleeve for the second half as far as adjustments. So that's something mm-hmm. to keep your eye on as well. This is the one-year anniversary game of when I was bagging on Joe Burrow for being conservative, couldn't throw it down the field. He was averaging four yards per pass. Auburn had a lead of 11 points covering the 10 and a half. And Joe Burrow clutch time came out of nowhere. So we'll see if that kind of transformation that we've talked about with Bo Nix is going to happen, being a downfield passer and being clutch. This is his chance to do what Joe Burrow did against Auburn last year. Bo Nix season in full effect. I believed in Barrow that game. I had LSU. I was against <laughs> you there. All right. So it should be a good one. Three marquee games that will go a long way in determining playoff implications. I mean, Michigan is out of it, but Notre Dame, outside shot. If they lose, they're yep. done. Ohio State, you know, Wisconsin still probably controls their own destiny because if they beat 
Ohio State twice. They're prob they're uh, probably in. You know, Ohio State's out, and that they win the Big Ten with two wins over Ohio State, probably in, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so Ohio State, obviously, if they keep winning, they're going in. And then, you know, uh, Auburn, LSU, obviously, LSU uh, is in the playoff discussion. So three huge games on Saturday. All right, let's go through each of the conferences here and highlight, you know, a game or two that intrigues us. We'll start in the ACC, and unfortunately... I have to play Miami. You know, <laughs> Miami plus six against Pitt. This game will be in Heinz Field. I'm not happy about it. But once I saw plus six, you know, there, there's still questions about who's going to play quarterback for them. You know, Thomas, they're one of their best receivers, is out. He's suspended again. DJ Dallas, their running back's probably not going to play. This team is a mess in a lot of different ways. But having said that, this team is competitive every week. And they're a couple plays away from being 7-0. and and in the playoff discussion, I mean, it is insane. Miami has had the worst luck I think I've ever seen. And I make this game a complete pick. It's a toss-up to me. Uh, two uh, really good defenses, two offenses that are in question. Now, the Miami offensive line against this Pitt defensive line, which leads the nation in sacks per game. Miami's, I think, 127th or 128th in sacks per game allowed. Does worry me, but they do have a couple mobile quarterbacks. Uh, something else to keep in mind. Bandy, their corner who went out against Georgia Tech, he looks to be healthy. Pinckney, one of their star senior linebackers, is not. But they're going to play McLeod, another senior linebacker, because he has another game to go. They don't want to burn his red shirt. That's why he didn't come in the game last week and they used some walk-on. But I think the Miami defense, which has played excellent all year, by some metrics, I mean, most metrics, Miami's a better team than Pitt. And I agree. I make this game a, a true pick in Heinz Field. Both teams have had kicking issues. This is a mess. It also should be really low scoring. The over-under has crashed down to 43 which makes the six points even more valuable. Um, but, I mean, if you just look at Miami, I mean, last week they lost to Georgia Tech after all of those injuries because Georgia Tech had two non-offensive touchdowns and Miami missed three field goals, two field goals from 25 to win it and another one from 37. Just a disaster. And then, and if you keep going, they lost to Va Tech 42-35 because of a bunch of turnovers. They outgained Vatek 5.63 to 3.37, 7.3 yards per play to 5.3. That should have been a win. They beat Virginia. Uh, they barely beat Central Michigan. They rolled Bethune-Cookman. And then North Carolina, they outgained by 100 yards. And they lost to Florida you know, by four points. So this team is a lot better than the record. This is pretty much their season this game. I think it's a close game, probably field goal either way. I'm on the Canes, unfortunately. Not happy about it, but I have to do it at the number. Whenever you're betting on ACC Coastal, it's like it's like giving money to a friend that you only see every three years. You're not you, you might not get it back. So just emotionally settle yourself that you may not see the money again. I don't know what this number is. I made this game pit minus one. I mean, I've been correct on pit point spreads every single week, and I make this pit minus one. So I don't understand. Like the point spread is just outrageous to have pit favored by this many points. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not looking back Miami. I know you're, and I, I don't blame anybody for backing Miami, but there's just some things with Miami that I can't take. So first off, both these teams are, you know, very high on havoc. We know that uh, Pitt's defense is first in passing success rate. Uh, Miami's defense is 15th in passing success rate. So throwing it through the air is going to be a problem for both teams. But, you know, Miami's 127th and sacks given up. A lot of that has to do with Nikosi Perry and Jaron Williams scrambling a lot. Poor offensive line play uh, with a bunch of, you know, new kids up there at the line. But, I mean, Perry and Williams do scramble a lot, and that accounts for some of the sacks. But Miami's got Arkansas problems. They've got 125th in red zone scoring percentage, 123rd in third down conversions. Great job, Danny. You know, 
close. I just can't put my money when, you know, when I see red zone efficiency and I see third down efficiency like this, I have a hard time putting my money against it. And because I make pit minus one, uh, I'm just not going to touch the game. You might have some weather too, with some rain uh, in Pittsburgh, uh, something to keep an eye on Saturday. Um, all right, let's move on to a, another game on the ACC. And that is a game that I, I like Boston mm-hmm. college at Clemson. Clemson minus 34 and a half now over under 59. You know, I played Clemson minus 33 and a half for the game, minus 20 and a half for the first half. This has blowout written all over it. You know, Clemson's run defense, their defense overall has been great. But Boston College, who wants to go fast, which is, I think, a nightmare in this spot, their defense (laughs) is absolutely atrocious. Bad, 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 their defense. No matter Mm -hmm. where you look, the Boston College defense is awful. This is probably your Trevor Lawrence go off game. Um, And then, you know, Clemson can just take away the run of Boston College. You know, they're down to a quarterback that was six on their depth chart last year. They lost Anthony Brown for the year. Then they had about four or five guys transfer out. And now they're down to this kid, Grossell, who's just terrible. I mean, last week against NC State, he went six of 15 for 100 yards. And BC still scored 45 points. Says says a lot about NC State. But they can just make BC one-dimensional. They're going to force turnovers. And this BC defense is awful. This sets up uh, as a blowout for Clemson and Trevor Lawrence. Do you agree? Yeah, I absolutely agree. This is one of those games where the point spread is so high. And if Adazio wants to go speed against Clemson, Clemson would be more than happy to do that with him. So it could be one of these games where possibly you look at taking Clemson in the first half. Uh, you know, th- uh, when Stuck said that Boston College's defense is bad, he wasn't kidding. They're 125th in defending pass explosiveness. That's not going to get it done. Boston College is 116th in total defense. That's bad. They're 119th in sacks. They're not going to pressure Trevor Lawrence. So, I mean... They do have this good running back tandem. I think it's something that we should watch for the future. I think Boston College is something that we want to look at in the future because David Bailey and A.J. Dillon are, you know, they threw up 429 yards uh, combined against NC State. Uh, They've run for at least 250 yards the past four games. So we'll be looking to play Boston College and teams that can't handle tempo and teams that are having problems against the rush. But this isn't the game. The thing that worries me about Clemson is that their offense is 75th in passing success. Need to see that improve here. This is the offense to get healthy on. If they can't improve on this, then this is an actual legit problem. I'm not saying Clemson's bored or they just want to be vanilla or they're just not going to wake up and play until December. But this is an offense that they have got to get the passing success rate going. Yep. If you're one-dimensional against this Clemson defense, ah, good luck. And Boston College is third of the nation in seconds per play. Uh, Speaking of fast teams, Florida State and Syracuse, those are two speed racers playing. That totals up to 60. Those are two of the fastest teams that just want to go, 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 go. I'm looking at the over. I don't I don't know if I want to get involved with, you know, Syracuse to Tommy DeVito is questionable. This backup might be better. You know, there's some offensive line issues on Florida State. But from a pace of play perspective, you are going to see a ton of plays in that game. Last week, Florida State-Wake Forest was only 22-20. There was some weather and some red zone issues, but Florida State ran 89 plays in that game. 89. So you're going to see a ton of plays in that game. So I'd be careful if you're looking 
at that under. Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. Um, all right, let's move on here to the AAC. Uh, I already mentioned Tulsa. I think this is a bad spot for mention for Memphis. I'm back on Tulsa again. Memphis looked so great last year, but potential flat spot. I love this Tulsa defense. They're competing every week. They're just sloppy, you know, turnovers and penalties. This is kind of a last ditch effort for Tulsa's season. I think Memphis wins, but I think the line is a tad too high. Do you see anything there? Yeah, I agree. I, I think the number is a little bit too high. I have it at nine and a half. Uh, and you have to look at, I mean, just from a from a you know ten mile view from up in the air, Tulsa played really well against teams that were trying to pass and have explosive plays. So if you look at passing teams like SMU, uh, Cincinnati trying to pass the ball, they covered those games. Oklahoma State, teams, they should. Oklahoma State, the they but two turnovers were a part of that. But if you look at teams that are like trying to do ground and pound or just trying to you know make it a grind, like Navy. Uh, like Wyoming, uh, I'm sorry, like Navy, uh, at Tulsa got absolutely got blown out. So this is one of those things where Memphis is playing a team where it kind of fits what they want to do with their 3-3-5 defense. Tulsa's 11th in defensive passing success rate. That should come in handy against Memphis. Uh, Memphis isn't very good at stringing drives together anyways. They're boomer bust on their offense. But Tulsa is 121st against pass explosiveness, and that really worries me because Memphis ranks 6th uh, in, in hitting bombs on, on, on passing plays. Um, you know, other than that, one thing that scares me about Tulsa, I, I don't think this number is going to dip below 10, so I'm comfortable with waiting on it for a while, is that Tulsa's 130th in penalties. Uh, you know, so I mean, <laughs> I started thinking about this, and this isn't a joke. Like, if, if you're the coach, if you're Philip Montgomery from Tulsa, and you realize that Memphis is one of the worst teams in the red zone, and the only way that they can score is from explosive plays, they have an interesting game plan, but the shorter the field gets, the harder it is for Memphis to score. So something definitely to watch for. Uh, Tulsa's top 25 in rush explosiveness, surprisingly. Uh, Memphis's D is 70th, so Tulsa may be able to extend the clock, uh, get some big runs going on. That's a way for them to hang around in the game. One stat, you can bet on this however you want. I'm not sure what you want to do with this. Tulsa has scored 72 points in the second quarter of this season, they've scored 81 points in the other three quarters in overtime. That is one of the most amazing stats I've ever seen. So what does that tell you? At the end of the first quarter, you may want to bet Tulsa. And at the end of it, at halftime, you may want to get out and bet Memphis. That's wild. All right, another game in the AAC, which will go a long way. This will pretty It's an elimination game. Tulane and Navy, as far as the West is concerned. Tulane, you know, I think both of them still have SMU left on their schedule. Um, Tulane obviously lost to Memphis last week. You know, I think I'm going to disagree with you on this game. I think I'm going back to Tulane. And the cap here is pretty easy. It's just one of the same reasons that I bet them against Army. Now, you notice that I mentioned Army. So they already played an option team. This team plays a, you know, it's a different zone blocking scheme of an option attack. But there's some of the same principles. And their coach is very familiar. Fritz is very familiar with the option. You know, he at Blinn College, Central Missouri, Sam Houston State, Georgia Southern. He employed the, the option at all of those schools as a coach. Uh, so they're very familiar with it. And they pretty much shut down Army as well as you can. They ended Army's long home winning streak in that game. You know, they played Navy last year. Navy couldn't move the ball on the ground. Uh, last year, they had 117 rushing yards. Two years ago, 
They only gave up 194 rushing yards in Annapolis. Uh, so I think this Tulane team knows how to defend the option, which is so big. The familiarity, um, you know, the the gap integrity, uh, they have it. And, you know, they have their explosive plays on the outside. The Navy defense is for real. Um, but I think Tulane can do enough to stop Navy's defense, Navy's triple option. And, you know, they're passing. They're trying to pass a little more. It has been working out lately for Malcolm Perry. He threw three passes last week against South Florida. Two of them were picked. Went 0 of 3 with two picks. Um, so I think Tulane's defense can shine here, and they bounce back. Uh, so I like them catching over a field goal because of the matchup with their defense. You, you disagree here? I love both these teams. I mean, we both love Tulane and Navy a ton, and I make this Navy minus 4.5. If I'm going to back Navy, though, I would want it to be 3 or under or maybe take a money line because you're right. Tulane is extremely familiar with what Navy wants to do. Saw it last year, experience with it this year. Fritz knows this, but, I mean, Navy's just unconscious this year. When you're trying to handicap Navy, you go straight to Tulane's defensive trench. Tulane is 60th in line yards, 73rd in opportunity rate, 75th in stuff rate. That means Navy's going to be able to move the ball when they want to run the ball. Tulane's 94th in defensive rushing success rate. They're top 30 in defending rush explosiveness, but 70th in opponent third down conversions. That means Navy's going to be able to get third down conversions. They're going to have rushing success rate. They're going to be able to convert third and fours, uh, second and sevens, things like that. It's not good to go against Navy, who's first in red zone touchdown scoring. That's one of the most amazing stats to me is like Navy, every time they get it into the red zone, it's always a TD. They don't settle for field goals. Uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, they may go forward on fourth down. I don't even think they, they have attempted a kick in the in the red zone. I have to go look at that. But they are number one in the nation in TD scoring. And Tulane should have explosive uh, rushing plays when success plays come on the ground. But how often is that going to happen? Because Navy's D is third in opponent rushing success rate. They're ninth in line yards. Uh, the defense has just been tremendous this year. I mean, just a complete switch from what we had last year. Uh, you know, but Tulane's good at, at, at you know they're 16th at havoc allowed, uh, so they're not going to beat themselves. Tulane's going to be in this game all the way to the finish. If you're going to bet Navy, look for a three or take a money line. If you do, make it a low investment because I love Tulane and, and Stuck's right. They really do know Navy, but I make the line four and a half, and probably in some way I'm going to be betting both sides of this live. Yep, and then speaking of two other option teams, I just want to throw this quickly out there. Army, almost an auto-fade for me. They were last week again. If you look back since, and the numbers are even worse if you look back further than this, but if you look back in our BetLabs da- database, and you can look back at all kinds of against-the-spread trends with filters, and you just filter for against-the-spread records by fi- for favorites. Florida State is 61-74-3. They're the second-worst team in the nation with a negative 12% ROI in the last 15 years. The worst is Army, 21 21- 37 and 2, negative 29.4% ROI. The triple option is meant to, you know, compensate for a lack of talent and, you know, high level recruits. It works for keeping, you know, them close against these elite teams. But against worse teams, it's not really as effective. San Jose State has major events last year. That was 52 to 3. They saw the option last year. Um, you know, their, their strength on their team is their linebackers. They have a couple safeties that aren't great against the pass, uh, but are, you know, more linebacker types. Uh, so I like San Jose state here. And additionally, New Mexico state, God, I can't believe I'm betting them again. Uh, but, a, uh, a triple option team in Georgia Southern, uh, laying over two touchdowns and their offense has been a disaster. This, I mean, their offensive line is bad. It is going to be so hard for them to cover 14 and a half. New Mexico State off a bye, you know, while Georgia Southern last week, you know, and you might look at the the score last week and say, oh, Georgia Southern, 
that maybe their offense got it together. No, they scored 30 points because it went three overtimes. It was 10-10 against Coastal Carolina uh, after regulation. Um, so they're coming off a three-overtime game, while New Mexico State is coming off a bye seeking their first win. You know, I think you get – you know, and Georgia Southern also has App State on deck, so it's just a terrible spot for Georgia Southern. That's an early game, Halloween night, so it's early in the week. Yep, Thursday night. So uh, I like New Mexico State here plus 14 and a half. I'm going to put that right in on the app right now. All right, let's move on here. And can't believe I'm betting New Mexico State again. I'm, I'm going to bet UMass live here. I think I might do it in the middle of the pod. We'll see if we can get some beeps coming out of my phone. Beautiful. All right, let's talk Big 12 quickly. Uh, Oklahoma, Kansas State, noon kick. Oklahoma, another noon kick. I played the under here. I, you know, Kansas State, one of the slowest teams in the nation. They're going to try and play keep away. Oklahoma should have some success running it. Uh, but the Oklahoma defense is so vastly improved. Kansas State's really going to struggle offensively, you know, so I, I took under 57 and a half. The game I want to talk about, the two games I want to talk about, Texas Tech and Kansas. I mean, Kansas has an offense now. The new offensive coordinator comes from a you know, a program where he was just wants to fly and score. And, um, you know, the last week against Texas, it was amazing. And Texas Tech also just wants to go fast. It's why one of the reasons why this total has jumped from 58 and a half to 65. Texas Tech sitting at a four-point favorite at Lawrence. Does Kansas keep it going from last week or do they have a little bit of a letdown i absolutely think it's for real i don't think there is a letdown you can't really have a letdown i think when you're kansas and the program is where it is uh that was an amazing offensive performance that they put on against texas i know texas is beat up i know we're gonna get texas tcu here in a little bit and you can say anything that you want that's nasty about the texas defense and it's all going to be true but the play calling absolutely suited to show how great Puka Williams is. I think the over on this game came out at 60. That number originated with Circus Sports, and I don't think it was adjusted that much for what Kansas's new play calling is and for what their new speed is. So that's yeah, the reason Kansas I was one of the off. slowest teams in the, in the nation with their old offense coordinator. Right, absolutely. And now it's uh, things have changed a little bit. So, uh, you know, it's still up to 64, 65 and a half. It's hard to put in like a new... Uh, gauge uh, about where Kansas totals should be. All we know is is they're going a lot faster and they're having a ton more success. So I would say 64 is not good compared to the 60 that you know was uh, there at the beginning of the week. But at the same time, I don't know where the under should uh, you know where we should stop and start thinking about an under in this game. Yep. Um, all right. And then in regards to Texas TCU, Texas is a one one and a half point favorite over under down to 57. Uh, there in Fort Worth. TCU, been an odd team to figure out this week. They're coming off two straight losses on the road at Iowa State. They got blitzed. And then at Kansas State, last week they lost by seven. Uh, before that, they beat Kansas by 37. And they barely lost to SMU in a game they could have won. And they also went to Purdue and rolled Purdue when Purdue was healthier. You know, the more I look at this game, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to disagree with you. I'm starting to like TCU. And it's a team I don't like to bet. And the reason is, is this Texas team, just the more I look at it, it's a mess. It's a disaster. They should have lost to Kansas, if not for a couple late plays and a last-second field goal. And then I go back to Oklahoma game. They should have lost that game by 30. And a lot of it's not their fault. It's their defensive injuries. I think TCU's going to have a ton of success running the ball. They're going to hit some plays in the passing, as everyone does, uh, against Texas. And then you go. the thing that's putting me over the edge is the West Virginia game, too. West Virginia, you know, who threw four picks, outgained Texas 463 to 427. 6.7 yards per play. Texas only had 5.2. Uh, so, I mean, this Texas team, I just don't think has been discounted enough because they competed with Oklahoma in a you know misleading 
final score because they pulled out the win against Kansas, because they pulled out the win against West Virginia. But they easily could have lost by 30 to Oklahoma, could have lost to West Virginia, and could have lost to Kansas at home. I'm not buying this Texas team any longer. You could sell Texas defense down the river, all right? I mean, Todd Orlando's probably going to get fired. Tom Herman's having to make excuses for him. Uh, they're beat up. They've lost. I think I think they may be on their third string of everybody on the defense. So I'm not going to sit here and defend Texas and their defense. But what I will defend is Sam Ellinger and this offense and, and the fact that they came so close against LSU, the fact that they covered against OU, although I know it was kind of fraudish because of Jalen Hurts' red zone turnovers. But at the same time, this TCU team just lost to Kansas State as a four-and-a-half-point favorite. They lost 25 to Iowa State. This is not LSU. This is not Oklahoma. TCU has covered just six of their last 25 games in Fort Worth. I know they get up for Texas, and both teams have excellent offensive line numbers from a line yards, from a stuff rate perspective, but there's just a huge difference you know, in defenses too. TCU is second in line yards, fourth in opportunity rate, and Texas is 66th and 113th. Uh, 113th in sack rate. That's pretty bad. Texas can't get any pressure on anybody. But the problem is is the TCU offense going to be able to keep up with the Sam Ellinger offense? Let's just throw the defenses aside because I don't think the TCU defense can keep up with Texas offense whatsoever. So the question becomes, can the TCU offense score enough against the Texas defense? So, I mean, if you look at TCU's defense, they're allowing 21 passing plays of 20 yards or more. They rank 112th in defensive pass explosiveness. Despite having a really good success rate against passing, Texas's first and third down conversions percentage in the country, their second and first downs in the country, their fourth and red zone points per attempt, TCU is 129th in opponent red zone points per attempt. Texas is going to score touchdowns every single time they get past the 40-yard line. I can't say that TCU's offense is good enough to do the exact same thing. I mean, it may be Dicker the kicker, but it doesn't matter. The point spread's one. Now, From a numbers perspective, I can't make the case for TCU's offense keeping up and winning this game. From a market perspective, I will tell you that my numbers don't mean anything because TCU is not getting a dime. They're not getting tickets. They're not getting any of the big money. They're they're not – no one's showing up at the counter. By the way, Circus Sports, who I completely respect, they put up TCU minus two and a half, and all that Longhorn money is what's pushed it to to Texas minus one. They still can't get – any TCU money. And, and Stucky's going to be on it. And I can understand if you're a person that just plays on the market, you would want to play TCU in this matchup. Well, I mean, TCU always is going to give up explosive plays, but they're aggressive 4-2-5. That's been a problem in the past. You know, they want to create three and outs, create some turnovers. And I don't really take too much from that game last week in that loss. They outgained Kansas State by 100 yards. They averaged 5.2 yards per play helped Kansas State to 4.8. Yeah, they helped Kansas State to 266 yards. They had 366. So kind of unlucky there. And I just don't buy this Texas. The, all these in- injuries on Texas, they're not going to keep surviving. They should have lost to Kansas at home, and they could have easily lost to West Virginia if not for a bunch of turnovers. I think I'm going to trust Patterson here. Yeah, I'm going to say this. For the uniforms that TCU's wearing, they've got to win this game. You can't lose the game and wear that Toronto Raptors-looking outfit. Yep. Yeah, elsewhere in the Big 12, you have Brocktober continuing against Oklahoma State. They're a 10.5-point mm-hmm. favorite. And I can't back Oklahoma State. I just don't trust Sanders after no. what I saw against the bye. And you do, you just have to kind of double Wallace and you know key in on Hubbard, and you can pretty much and shut s- down Oklahoma State. 
Spencer Sanders is taking things really hard too. He's an emotional kid that is taking his mistakes a little bit too hard in the game. And then he just, he gets down on himself and he starts second guessing himself. And I'm going to tell you, Oklahoma state is going to be one of the most talented teams in the nation next year. They have all the talent in the world. Their defense is letting them down. And Sanders is just making, you know, typical freshman mistakes and any, and he's holding himself. He's holding himself too hard against the fire when he makes them. All right, let's move on to the big 10. Indiana, Nebraska is the quarterback. I don't know who's playing quarterback. Michael Penix is questionable. If right. he doesn't play, it's a huge drop-off. To, I mean, he's. I think he leads the country in adjusted completion percentage. Their offense has been rolling with him. He got hurt last week, uh, and you know they almost lost to Maryland as a result. Uh, so keep an eye on that. And then on the other side with Nebraska, I don't know who's playing quarterback. I have no clue. Nobody knows. I'm trying to find out. We probably won't find out until game time. Adrian Martinez <laughs> is questionable. Noah Vedro is questionable. Maybe you see uh, Christian McCaffrey's brother. I don't know. Hard game to cap. The line's probably going to flip all over based on quarterback speculation. I'll right. also mention th- that I played Northwestern plus 10 and a half. Ugh, it's gross, but there's just too many points in a, in a game that might be 7-3. Uh, total is 37 and a half. I had to take it over 10. The Northwestern offense is ugly, but their defense is really good. It's one of the best defenses in the country. I will. I was offense not explosive. Now I will be without, you know, pretty much their only explosive player and leading receiver uh, in Brandon Smith. He's out with an injury, so I'm trusting in some voodoo here. It's a perfect voodoo spot for Northwestern at one and five uh, against Iowa. But let's talk about Penn State, Michigan State. I was hoping this game creeped seven. Doesn't look like it's going to happen, so I took six and a half. I'll add if it gets back to seven. I mean, I don't know how much this is. Michigan State's you know really experienced team off of a bye with a you know I think they have a bye on deck too. I mean, this is just pretty much you know their Super Bowl until Michigan in, in mid November. If this experienced team has anything, you're going to get it here against a young Penn State team that's played two straight games, emotional games that they've really could have easily lost at Iowa and then against Michigan. How much does Penn State have left? And the bye just did Michigan State so much good. They're getting healthier along the offensive line. This team was beat up. You know, they played you know, Ohio State and Wisconsin in back-to-back games. Their run defense is still elite. Their defense, if you look at first and de- first and second down, success rate still elite. I trust Lewerke here. I trust Michigan State. I think they went outright. Penn State, again, just overinflated in the market because of their results in the final score, not in the box score. I think the Penn State undefeated party ends here in East Lansing. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely agree. I took uh, Michigan State, same as you, six and a half, and I took a real juice seven uh, out there, but I, you know, you don't want to put something that juiced on the app, but I, I did take a six and a half too, so it kind of doubled up on this game. Uh, but you're right about Penn State. I mean, it's a flat spot. Primetime ranked games against Iowa and Michigan. Uh, you know, and Penn State needed an explosive play to beat to beat Michigan. They, they ended that game with a 72% Post-game win expectancy. I mean, uh, Michigan had every chance to tie that ball game up. Here's the deal. If you believe in Brian Lewerke, Stuck does. I do. I've seen him. The kid's got a bazooka for an arm. Uh, if you believe in him and he can hit his targets, Penn State's defense is 76th and 80th in defending rush and pass explosiveness. They can be hit on the big play. And that comes down to Brian Lewerke hitting his guys deep. D'Antonio's won five of the last six against Penn State. You could say that he kind of owns James Franklin. We praise Penn State's defense. There's nothing bad to say about them. But they're 65th in Havoc allowed on offense. And Michigan State can expose that. And, you know, I think this is a great spot for Penn State's offense to get exposed a little bit. 
Uh, Michigan State's the kind of defense that can pull it off. And so I, I think we're going to see an upset here outright. And definitely, if you're going to make your, your round-robin parlay cards, it's going to have Sparty in it for me. Yep, agreed. Anything on Maryland, Minnesota? I think that it looks like there's a lot of injury questions with Maryland. It does look like McFarland will go. I don't know who's going to play quarterback. Anything there? I lean Minnesota, but, you know, no, nothing big here. I, I just think that there's, you know, both quarterback Josh Jackson and running back Anthony McFarland are expected to play for Maryland. That's a boost for them. But, I mean, really, when it comes down to it, Minnesota's top 20 in passing success rate and explosiveness. And, and you know, Maryland's D is outside top, the se- top 70 in both those categories. So I'm not sure I just want to swallow the points, but uh, it's definitely a spot for the Gophers. Liberty Rutgers. Liberty, they're, all their games go under by about 100 points somehow. They, I think they're averaging their totals are going under by like three touchdowns a game. It's, it's pretty crazy for a Liberty. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. Rutgers has, has set historic records for just absolute putrid quarterback play over the last couple games. Liberty's a seven and a half point favorite at Rutgers over under 45. Are you betting that game? Listen, if I knew Cole Snyder was playing for Rutgers, I would definitely lay the money in on the seven half. Is if we get word that he is playing and he's starting, then yeah, it's worth a play because that quarterback, he can actually do something for Rutgers. But other than that, we're talking about a team that scored 14 points in their last four games. That's a little tough. So Cole Snyder's got three games left to burn with his red shirt. Rutgers has every intentions of red shirting Cole Snyder. So he's got three games left to go. If you look at Rutgers schedule, Ohio State, Michigan State, Penn State, surely Snyder plays in this game because they don't want to throw him to the Wolves against the big boys of the Big Ten. So if I get word that Cole Snyder is playing, I'm playing Rutgers. Good intel there. Um, all right, let's move on to Conference USA quickly. Uh, I'm against you in one game here. You got a bad, you usually get good numbers. You got a bad number here with yeah. Rice, Southern Miss. I took Rice plus 10 and a half. It's, you know, an awful spot for Southern Miss. They're coming off that loss, which a big loss, a lot of tech. They threw four picks. They really could have won the game. I mean, this team has had a hard, a brutal schedule, too. Uh, luckily, they have a bye next week. But before the bye, they go to winless Rice. Uh, I'm buying Rice low here. You know, they're 0-7 on the year. But they're still fighting. And, mm-hmm. you, know, they, you know, they lost to Baylor by eight. They lost to La Tech by three in overtime. Um, so there's some things that I've liked about Rice. And then more, more importantly, with Southern Miss, you know, they're going to be without one of the most important players into Michael Harris, who took over for running back because Trevinsky Mosley was out. So they're undermanned on offense as well. I just think it's a super flat spot for uh, yeah. Southern Miss. So I'm on Rice and it sucks, but... You're right, though. It, it is a really bad spot. And, and, and people have been tweeting me, uh, asking me, like, why did we take Southern Miss and then move the other way? There, it is not many times that I get a bad number. And the reason is because on open, uh, Southern Miss opened up at 11. Uh, I have this number projected at 14. And immediately I knew that Southern Miss was, you know, 11th in the nation in passing explosiveness and Rice is 97th in defending that. Southern Miss is 15th in passing success rate. Rice is 121st in defending that. Uh, you know, the, Rice is going to have problems defending the Southern Miss pass game, but the spot screams Rice. So, yeah, got a bad number. It's it's coming down. It's going the other way, even though I project it 14. So I'm just going to sit with my 11, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, the other game of note in Conference USA is Western Kentucky at Marshall, which is important for the mm-hmm. conference standings. Western Kentucky, uh, surprising 5-2 and two after an opening uh, loss to Central Arkansas at home. They are five point underdogs at Marshall over under forty five. What do you see here? 
Yeah, I love Marshall in the spot. It's homecoming for them. There's a huge announcement coming after the first quarter. They said it's, uh, you know, program-shaking announcement coming on the field after the first quarter. But this is good on good. This is Marshall's rush versus the Western Kentucky rush defense. We love Western Kentucky. The Hilltoppers have made us some money this year. The Herd are 12th in rushing yards per attempt. They're 16th in line yards. And the Western Kentucky D is 14th in opponent rushing yards. So, really, that's the big battle to watch out for here. But Western Kentucky has problems generating points. That's a huge issue for them. They average 22.3 per game and Marshall doesn't throw very often but when they do they rank in the top 20 in passing explosiveness so they're not very good at passing success rate they're only successful uh, and rank 112th but when they do it's actually a really big pass and Western Kentucky is 128th an opponent passing explosiveness. So Marshall won't go to the air. They only have 211 attempts uh, on the season and throwing. But when they are successful, it's going to be big plays. Marshall recently, because of wide receiver depth, went to a three tight end set. And if you go and look at some of their game film, they are just messing with defensive coordinators' minds. They are running the ball out of the three tight set. They're passing the ball out of three tight set. The pre-stat motion is a mess. Doc Holliday, you and I had a text log about how we think he's a conservative coach, but he is doing things with a three tight end set that is confusing defense. Defense is big time. Love Marshall on the spot. Yeah, Marshall's offensive line is also really excellent, so it can match up. They're going to put Western Kentucky into pass situations. Western Kentucky is not going to have success, and Thundering Hurt can get after the quarterback. Um, I think they have 15 sacks in the last two games, if I remember reading that right. So, you know, Mm -hmm. they can get after the quarterback, and Western Kentucky, they're just going to have a really, really tough time scoring here. Um, All right, let's move on to the independence because everyone has been waiting. Mm, what's that smell? It stinks. What do you mean? This trash. The sweet, sweet trash. The trash is a gold mine. Gold mine. Gold the independence because everyone has been waiting for this moment <laughs> all week and it's for you to explain the okay. toilet bowl. UMass is the new Yukon and Yukon is still the new Yukon. So is this really... UConn versus UConn, yeah. uh, but UConn against UMass. Uh, UConn's a 10-point favorite at UMass. That's how bad UMass is. Over under 62. I don't even know where to start with this game, and UMass is on my do-not-bet list. I will not be betting this game. I will not lay 10 on the road with UConn, I'll tell you that. So this is a complete stay away for me. Go ahead and make your case. You, you, you jumped on me in the company slack. You're like, come on, man. You can't bet on this team. So, uh, listen, well, you were I talking project- about a linebacker being out for company. I, 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 I was. come down right, so- to like who vomits less? <laughs> so this is an old Yankee conference rivalry here, and I project the game to be UConn minus 7.5 on the road, so there is value in the number, you know, more so at the 10.5 than the 10. But yes, UConn lost linebacker DJ Morgan. Uh, he's responsible for 36 tackles, two sacks, two passes defense, two fumble recoveries. He was the signal caller. He's the one that huddled them all up. He was kind of the leader, the inside linebacker for the UConn defense. He's out in this game. You have to remember, UConn did cover against Houston last week, but that was against Dana Holgerson's son uh, playing quarterback. Both teams should have some success and explosive runs. Uh, but, you know, Andrew Brito, Randall West, these are some of the best players for the UMass Minutemen on the offense. Uh, they weren't healthy. They went into a bye week. They got out of concussion protocol. They're ready to go for UConn. I just think it's too many points. Listen, you come on, UMass. I mean, UConn can't be favored by 10 on the road. So I, I one more time, UMass. One more time. We're going to go to the well one more time, see if we can get some money out of UMass. Oh, boy. Dumpster diving, Colin goes. I'm dumpster diving a lot. This New Mexico State and Rice, I don't have much room to talk. All right, we'll be talking much more about that on Saturday morning. 
Uh, let's move on to the MAC, which has been as unpredictable as ever this year. An unpredictable conference somehow has become more unpredictable. Tons of quarterback questions across the board. You know, Central Michigan has their quarterback suspended and a mess there. Buffalo's quarterback's out for the year. They have Van Treese, who's a punt, was a punter, the quarterback now. Akron's quarterback is suspended. They're going with a true freshman again. Northern Illinois is going back to Bowers. Toledo and Guadani might not play. Glass, same thing with Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan hasn't won at the Glass Bowl since the 90s. Just a, a mess of a conference. But let's talk about Ohio Ball State, um, which could go, could be a preview of the MAC championship. Top two top seeds in both divisions here. Ball State's two-and-a-half-point favorite at home. The Ohio defense has been scaring me, what they did against Kent State last week. Ugh, no one get a stop yeah. that game. Over under 61-and-a-half. Uh, Ball State's been on a little bit of a roll here. They rolled uh, undermanned Toledo team last week, which just isn't the same without Guadani. Mm-hmm. What do you see in Ohio Ball State? Ohio's defense has been pretty atrocious here, but I am going to back the Bobs in this spot. I make the game a pick, so I think uh, you know Ball State being favored by two and a half. It was three earlier in the week when I took it. I think that's a little bit too much. Ball State's won three straight. They've covered four straight. They've had a combined 1,030 yards against Toledo and Eastern Michigan in the last two weeks. Drew Plitt is now 16 touchdowns to six interceptions. Ball State is 31st in pass explosiveness, uh, and I think the question is, is the Ohio rushing attack, the old Solich rushing attack that seems to get him to the MAC championship game that he can never win. They're 22nd in success rate as far as running the ball. And, you know, Cardinals look like they are up to the task. But if you look at the lists of the rushing attacks they've gone up against, we're not exactly sure they're going to be able to get it done. So Ball State's going to generate zero pressure on Nathan Rourke. And on the same token, Ohio is 127th in Havoc. So nobody's going to be turning the ball over here. Uh, but I think the whole thing is, is if Ball State can't get any pressure on Nathan Rourke, he's going to be able to do whatever he wants on the ground and through the air. Uh, so, you know, I you know probably should play this game live. But at the same time, I think Ohio plus three at the time when I bought it was good. If you don't aren't comfortable with the two and a half, which I probably wouldn't be in this game, wait for it to clip three again or play this live because both offenses are going to be able to do what they want to do. Let's move on to the Mountain West Conference. Uh, one thing I will say is keep an eye on the weather in Laramie could have winds tons of winds that 20 25 miles per hour we'll have stuff on that in the action app that really won't hurt Wyoming's offense they can't throw they just run the ball um but let's talk quickly uh Utah State Air Force what do you see there Air Force a three and a half point home favorite some questions about quarterback health but does it really matter with Air Force no, because they use dual quarterbacks. I think they've got a third one they can use too. But I think the under is the play because Utah State is struggling and finishing drives. Utah State's 130th in red zone TD scoring. They've been settling for a lot of field goals or they just haven't been scoring at all. And Air Force field position, uh, I think that's going to help the under because it's always been an issue. They're 129th in punt return yards. They're 130th in kickoff return yards. Air Force always has a long field to play with. And you know about their running attack, about their option attack on the ground. It's going to make it a very quick game, which means uh, point to the under. Yeah, probably a little inflated just because Utah State plays so fast. Uh, One of the fastest teams in the nation. Um, All right, let's move on here to the Pac-12 uh, you know, I played uh, on the app. I played Stanford. I think either Costello or Mills, and I'm hoping will play based on what I've been reading. That will be huge if they do. Um, but I think it's a good spot for a desperate Stanford team against an Arizona team that is just a mess. They can't get pressure, can't play defense. You know, you have Arizona State, a four point favorite on the road at UCLA, Utah, 21 and a half point favorite with a total of 36 and a half against Cal. Because, <laughs> you know, obviously, their defense is elite. Um, they also play really slow. Cal is down to their third quarterback. Monsters out. Garbers is out. Uh, is this a Utah truck? 
Yeah, absolute Utah truck wrote about this in the Havoc piece earlier in the week back when the line was 18. I still like it at, at 21, 21 and a half. I, I mean, there's probably a better way to play this, and that is taking the Cal on the under. I mean, they're on their third string quarterback. Uh, Spencer Brash is going to be the freshman kid that gets in there. Uh, he's got six. Uh, <laughs> he's got six attempts lifetime. One of them was an interception to Oregon State. Utah is sixth in Havoc, and Cal is 108th in Havoc allowed. Utah is going to probably score two defensive touchdowns in this game. I think the best bet, if you're uncomfortable with the number on Utah, is to take Cal on the team total under. Yep. Uh, Washington State, Oregon. Is Washington, Oregon has, Washington State's owned this series. Does Oregon yeah. finally get the revenge? 14-point favorites at home in Eugene. I mean, this is crazy. Oregon's not won this game since 2014. Oregon hasn't covered this game since 2009. This is the same spot as last year. I mean, Oregon beat Washington, and then they went and played Wazoo, and they lost 34-20. to uh, Herbert hit nine different targets against Washington without uh, his top tight end, uh, who was injured on the season. Does Oregon go conservative in this game with a look ahead to a USC game, and does that allow Washington State to kind of hang around? You know, I mean, But the trends are just amazing in this series about how many times Washington State has covered and won this game. All right, let's close up before we go three and out with the SEC. Um, and I always have to get your – we talked to Auburn LSU already. I have to get your opinion on Arkansas. Yeah. Arkansas-Alabama. Bama, 32-point favorite without Tua at home, over under 55-and-a-half. Thoughts here? Woo-pig suey. Absolute dumpster fire, dumpster fire. I don't know how we win a game the rest of the year. Just blow the program up. Give us a death sentence. Collins talking Razorback football. No, I think the number is correct. I think that's a good adjustment for Tua. Uh, you know, the odds makers are doing it just a little bit over a TD, and Saban's not happy with his red zone turnovers, which is hilarious because Arkansas's red zone defense is pretty terrible, so they should convert that this week. You know, he's mentioned a lot of things about lack of details missing in practice. Uh, he's chastised his uh, assistant coaches, his players. He's mentioned explosive runs continue to be the Achilles heel of the Alabama defense. Uh, they're not filling gaps, A, B, and C gaps with the rush D. Arkansas is not going to be able to expose any of this stuff. But why I bring it up is because LSU is going to be able to expose a lot of this stuff. Kicker Will Reichert, he's going to be out for for Saban in this game. Uh, Saban mentioned on Monday during his presser that his kicker will not be available for this game. So that's something to watch here as far as taking an under or thinking that Arkansas can cover. You know, Alabama just wants to get to the bye week healthy. Chad Morris is under a ton of pressure and he's looking for a moral victory here. Uh, you know, Arkansas is still bottom five in red zone scoring. If you have the guts to take Arkansas in this huge spread, you know, more power to you. I just can't do it, but it's an Arkansas spot. Yeah, and you also like Missouri minus 10 in Lexington against Kentucky. I just can't figure out Missouri. I mean, there's, all, there's you know, are they going to be postseason eligible? Are they not with this appeals? And where's their head? I mean, they've had two head scratchers. They lost to open the year as 16-point favorites at Wyoming, and then they lost right. last week as 21-point favorites at Vanderbilt. Clear stay away for me. But you like the Tigers? Yeah, I think in both those losses, their postgame win expectancy was extremely high. They shouldn't have lost those two games. And uh, the number I make is a lot higher uh, against Kentucky. I think Kentucky is uh, maybe propped up by you know beating Arkansas by four points, uh, not covering the initial spread by that. Uh, I think Kentucky's got a lot of issues. It's just their issues aren't as bad as maybe, say, Vanderbilt and, say, Tennessee and, say, Arkansas. So uh, I think Missouri's going to roll here. Uh, and then I guess we have to mention the fun belt. Don't let the ladies come between you and the belt. App State, South Alabama, App State roll. Yeah, take App State first half. Uh, they play on a short week in Georgia Southern. Uh, and uh, so what they're going to want to do is is establish themselves early, get a huge lead, and probably sit on the football the rest of the game because of the early week going up against Georgia Southern. So uh, look to take them the first half. All right. And then before we get out of here, let's go three and out. 
let's make it a quick three and out. Uh, first down, we'll have a write-up for this game. USC, Colorado. I like the Buffs. It's a great spot for them. Short yeah. week. They're a little healthier on defense. You got Mustafa Johnson back. You know, Chenault is back on the offensive side. USC's defense is so banged up. They were without four starters last week. They lost three or four more last week. They have Oregon on deck. I mean, this is a get-right spot for now. USC should score, and they're going to be able to throw it. But they're 0-3 on the road. Uh, I think Colorado also could score on this banged-up USC defense. Uh, I like the Buffs to keep this close. If it doesn't get the 14, I'll buy, buy it on the cheap. Yeah, I'm buying it right now because I'm noticing as we're recording that it's dropped to 12 and a half at a sharp book. So uh, there's a 13 and a half out there, not juiced. I'm going to I'm gonna pay a little bit and I'm going to get it up to 14. Colorado is the play here. LaVisca Chenault, completely 100% healthy. Uh, they've got other options that are healthy. Steven Montez had seven interceptions his last two games. If he can play a clean game, they might upset USC in this spot. USC is unbelievable with how many injuries they have on both sides of the ball. The defense is just completely torn apart by injuries. Running back. Running back, yeah, but Kadon Slovis does have all of his targets, but, I mean, everybody else on this USC team is injured. Yep. All right, and then second down, our favorite overdog. It's called the overdog parlay. I already mentioned mine, Clemson. Who are you rolling with? Utah, by far. Utah and Clemson trucks. And then on third down, our underdog money line parlay. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the money line parlay. Uh, I'm I'm rolling with Sparty. Who are you going with? I can't say UMass, right? UCLA. I'm going UCLA for mine. All right. Colin to UCLA and Sparty. We'll have a write-up for that on Saturday. Maybe Colin will change his. But thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me, Colin. Make sure you rate, subscribe to the Action Network podcast, review, tell a friend. You know the drill. Don't forget about the voicemails this weekend. A lot of marquee games. We expect to hear from you. 575-655-0664. We'll catch you all on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Cheers. Peace out.